in the heart of Africa. There is a place known as the land of a thousand hills, lush and green, a land of great vibrancy, full of life, red fertile soil that supports some of the most beautiful landscapes you'll ever see. And yet, like all places in the world where we find tremendous beauty, we also find brokenness, orphaned and vulnerable children with no memory of parents, unseen by society, without the assurance of a meal, the security of shelter, or the dignity of work. But in the gap we find between God's beauty and our brokenness, we believe that God can build a bridge, that grace received and grace shared can turn mourning into dancing, great grief into immeasurable joy, bondage and brokenness, into hope restored and hope renewed. And so today, you are invited on a journey to Rwanda, as together we remember the central affirmation God's story is a story of grace. Well, it is a joy to welcome you to First Methodist Mansfield. I am so glad you were here because I thought I was going to preach to like three people today. So it is nasty outside. So thanks for being here at the Well and the Well Cafe. Both of those venues are full today. Uh, so delighted to have you. My name is David. I serve as the senior pastor here and. If my voice sounds a little bit odd, it's not because I'm sick, it's because the weather in my throat are not getting along, but I have my hot tea in case I need that a little bit later. I'll, I'll get through the end of, of the message. Uh, we are in the second week of this series, A Story of Grace, and I want to reset a few things for you. First, if you have your Bible, I want to invite you to turn to Romans chapter 8. Uh, you are also uh, welcome to use the Bibles that we have available for you. You see on the slide uh, up there, the page number in the blue Bibles that are there, uh, that are here in the chapel as well as upstairs uh, in the loft. If you have your own Bible, I have no idea what page number it's on. Mine's on 1030, but that may not be yours. So I uh, want to encourage you to find that though. And let me reset a few things as, as we begin. Uh, a couple weeks ago, uh, a group from our church, uh, 10 of us, including myself, returned from a trip to Rwanda. We went there to check in with the orphan communities uh, that we support there and to uh, capture some of their stories. We took a video team with us to, to not only share the video that you've already seen, but also some stories that I'll show, uh, that I'll, I'll share one with you in just a moment. You'll hear another one uh, each week of this series. Uh, but for those who may be brand new and don't know anything about uh, what we're doing in Rwanda, let me give you a, a real quick update on that. About 10 years ago, we started uh, working with a ministry known as Zoe Ministry. It began in 2004, and Zoe in its infancy was a relief ministry, working with orphans in Zimbabwe, providing food and medical care for those kids. And as Zoe has developed and grown, grown to the point where now they're active in seven countries, uh, they now offer a three-year empowerment program where orphans walk through the program together, moving from a life of hopelessness to a life where they are sustained uh, by the new community that they have formed. And you'll hear more about that today as we walk through that. But that's the partnership that we have. And we're in the third year uh, of a three-year commitment to a thousand kids in Rwanda. It's the second group of a thousand uh, that we have supported. And when 2016 rolls around, January 1st, 2016, we intend to start our third commitment, uh, three years with another thousand kids uh, supporting them in this program. But again, we took a video crew to, so that we could capture some of the stories of the kids whose lives are being changed. And so today I want you to hear uh, this story from a boy named Samye. 
we found a place in the Nyanza sector and in Gisagara district that is in the southern province of Rwanda. But this special group, they are all child-headed household, no mother, no father living on their own. Zoe built these homes for those homelesses. When we met these kids before, they had to sleep outside on bushes or under bridges. It is not safe, all kind of exploitation. There was no way to empower them. Empowerment was not possible because they were not stable. We have bought this piece of land and we began building homes. Today, they have their own home. They no longer need to live on the street where they can be abused. Empowerment is possible. They can shift them out of poverty because they are free from slave work. Anything they do is for, for their profit, not for the profit of someone else. They have dignity in their community, and their community uh, consider them as other citizens. There is Alexi, who is living with his disabled father, and John living with his disabled mother. A home is so important in, in this kid's life because once they got a home, they began running small businesses and they make money, they can feed themselves, they can pay health insurance, they send their siblings to school. Samuel also, he's a nice guy. He was good at business. Before he knew Zoe, he was in bad life, homeless, stigmatized by society. Zoe came and gave him a grant. He bought samosa and then he sold them. He sold pineapple a while and then he got a bicycle. And then through this bicycle, he can do a taxi, bicycle taxi. Now he has a house from Zoe. Now he's doing his business. He's thankful so much. May God bless you guys. And his wish is that you can help other people. What amazed me and make me feel happy, Zoe can go to help other children who are in need because him is already out of poverty. Thank you, Zoe. <laughs> Amen. Pretty cool, huh? Pretty amazing stories. Uh, let me review a few things with you. If you weren't here in this, this first week uh, that we had last weekend, I want to reset a few things because what we said last week was that we wanted to develop a foundation that would help us connect the work that we're a part of in, in Africa that we're proud of and we think that's really neat that God is doing these things in the lives of these kids. But we wanted to connect that story with the overall work that we believe God is doing in the world and the work that we believe that God is doing in our life. In other words, this series is more than just sharing vacation photos. That's not what the, the intent of it is. It's to talk about grace and how grace transforms the world. And so we started last week with a very simple idea that to be a person of faith means that you believe certain things are true. That's what it means when you, when you are a person of faith. There are certain things that you believe are true, and because you believe these things, because you have these assumptions and these convictions in your life, it changes everything that you do. It changes how you think, it changes how you speak, it changes how you interact with others, and it should change the way that you see the world, the way that you see yourself, 
the way that you see God, and the way that you see your, your part in the world and others within the world. We've talked about it in the past as glasses that you wear, glasses that, the, the glasses of faith that enable you to see things that others may not see, to see the world in, in a whole new way. And we talked last week about those beliefs and assumptions that guided the life of Jesus, that Jesus believed he had come to share good news, and that that good news was meant for those who needed it most. And so Jesus talked about the poor. He talked about the brokenhearted. He talked about the captive, the prisoner, those who mourn, those who have despair, that these were the, the, the recipients of his, the intended recipients of the good news that he was bringing into the world. But we added to that this critical idea that if you want to understand Jesus and why he does what he does, why Jesus does what he does in his life, and, and certainly if you want to understand why Jesus' life ended in the way that it did on the cross, you have to understand this key idea, that Jesus not only believed that he had come to bring good news for those who needed it most, but Jesus was absolutely convinced that this good news could change the world. If you don't understand that, if you don't wrap your head around that, then nothing that you see Jesus doing in the Gospels, and certainly the way that Jesus' life ended at the cross doesn't make any sense at all. Rather, when you understand that, you understand that Jesus did what he did. He gave his life in the way that he did because he believed that this good news had the power to change the human heart and to change the entire world. That those who followed his teachings, those who followed the trajectory of, of his own life, of losing themselves for others, that they had the capacity to not only transform their own lives, but also change the world. So we started last week with this very simple conviction that we said was going to be the assumption, the guiding idea of this series, that we are not alone. We live in God's world, and in God's world, we believe that grace changes everything. We are not alone. We live in God's world, and in God's world, we believe that grace changes everything. And the question I told you that we were all going to look at over the course of the six weeks is, what would it look like for me, what would it look like for you to more fully participate in God's story of grace? So today what I want to do is I'm going to read you three verses from Romans chapter 8, and then I'm going to start the process of walking through the experience of these kids, the program that they walk through, and we're going to do that for the sake of understanding this word, Grace. What does grace mean? We're going to see grace at work in their life and in their journey over the course of this three years, and then think about how that grace works in our own life as well. So if you have your Bibles, Romans 8, verse 14, we're going to kind of join the Apostle Paul in mid-thought here. We're going to come back to it. I'll give you a little bit more context. But Paul is writing to Christians in Rome, and he's talking about the transition that has happened in their lives. So verse 14, Paul says this, those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The spirit you received does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him, him meaning the spirit of God that is at work in us now after saying yes to Jesus, that spirit, by that spirit, we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Just hold your place there. We'll come back to this in just a moment. What I want to invite you to do is I want you to think about the plight of the orphan. I want you to think about the experience of the orphan. If you are here last week, I told you a little bit about the structure of the trip, that in the first two days, we spent that entire time with kids who had either graduated from the three-year program or were about to graduate. And let me just make sure you understand what it means to be a graduate of, of this program. Graduates, at the end of this, have three things. 
And those three things are they have economic and food security, meaning they have the ability to feed themselves for that day and the days to come. They have some sort of project, some sort of business, some sort of endeavor by which they either produce food that they can eat or money that allows them to buy food. They have that on an ongoing basis. They no longer need financial support because they have that sense of security. The second thing that every graduate has is they have instructions on proper health and hygiene. So many of these kids did not receive this from their parents. And so we know one of the things that sustains them long term is their health. So instructions on proper health and proper hygiene is the second thing that every graduate has. The third thing that every graduate has, and you heard Epiphany in the video. Epiphany is the leader of the ministry in Rwanda. She talked about this. Every graduate has some sort of a home. And you heard Epiphany talk about the importance of a home, that it's more than just protection from the elements. But home is security and safety for these kids for their economic life so that they're not exploited by others, but, but also for their younger siblings as well. So those are the three things that every graduate has. They're no longer receiving any more support from Zoe because they have these three basic needs met on an ongoing basis. And they're able to graduate, to be set free, to, to help with other kids. And so in those first two days, you got nothing but celebration. you got nothing but great stories. Everything that you want to hear when you go to Africa, you hear in those first couple days, including... Many of these kids, because they hear from the very beginning that this entire program is funded by people who love Jesus, who follow Jesus, and because of that commitment to Jesus they are giving to them, these kids have a renewed, deep, amazing faith and a deep desire when they graduate to take what they have received, the blessings that they have received, and share it with others to be a part of, of sharing the grace that they have received with others in their community. It's amazing some of the stories that you hear. So the first two days are just, they're days where you just think, wow, this is amazing what grace can do in the lives of these kids. And I told you last week, the third day, we went to the other, uh, other side of the program, we went to a, a group that was meeting for the very first time. And when you walked in that room, no one had to tell you that these kids were different. I mean, it was obvious to everyone who walked into that room, you could see it. You could see their poverty. You could see it on the clothes that they were wearing, the, the, the dirtiness of those clothes and the dirtiness of their bodies. You could see it on their faces. So instead of, of the faces of celebration and joy that we had seen in, in days before, those faces, those expressions were, were replaced by, by sad, drawn faces. Children who had not eaten in several days. Children who were struggling in incredible ways. So you could see it, and pardon me if this comment seems insensitive, but it's just the reality. You could smell it when you walked into the room. It was obvious. It was obvious that these kids were different from the other kids that we had seen. What they were facing in their life was, was tremendous and overwhelming poverty. But as they shared with us, as they talked about their lives and the challenges of their lives, the things that they were struggling with in their life, it became clear to us that their struggles and what they were really dealing with was beyond those things that we could just physically see. It was beyond the need for new clothes, a nice warm bath, and food in their bellies. That there were additional things, that the extent of their need went well beyond those things that we could physically see. Before we left for the trip, uh, Teresa Sherwood, who leads our global ministries, invited us all to read the book, When Helping Hurts, to prepare ourselves for what we were going to experience in that time in Rwanda. And here's something from that book. 
the author writes, poor people typically talk in terms of shame, inferiority, powerlessness, humiliation, fear, hopelessness, depression, social isolation, and voicelessness. But North American audiences tend to emphasize the lack of material things such as food, money, clean water, medicine, housing, etc. So I want to give you some additional words today as you think about the plight of the orphan, what it's, what it's like to live in these conditions. I want you to, to, if you feel like it, write these words down. The word isolated, the word unknown, the word unwelcome, the word unloved. In the book, it expresses it this way, that poverty is the absence of shalom in all of its meanings. That word shalom is a Jewish word. It means peace or it means wholeness. And in the Jewish context, it means peace and wholeness because of God's presence in our lives. So in the midst of chaos, you can have shalom because God is present with you and you turn to God in that time of need. Poverty is the absence of peace and wholeness in all of its meanings. Now, why is that important? Why is that so critical for us to understand? Because I can show you this picture. This is the, the boy Joseph that I showed you last week that we met there in that, that group that was meeting for the first time. And you can see, you can see from where you are sitting right now, you can see his poverty. You can see that he needs new clothes. You can see that there is there's dirt on his clothes. You can see that there are many things that he needs. You can see the sadness on his face. And if all you have is what you can see then the assumption might be that you have nothing in common with this young boy. I mean, my guess is that none of you early on in your life were found in a bush. That's probably not your story. That probably hasn't been your experience. My, my guess is that that, ha that isn't your experience. And because of that, when we see someone like Joseph, we might assume my life has nothing to do with his life. Because my experience is so different from his own experience. But when we think about poverty in a different way, when we think about poverty as the absence of shalom, when we think about being isolated and unknown and unwelcome and unloved, we recognize that we may have more in common with him than we think. That we all, all of us have poverty in our life. All of us have places in our life where we are missing. We feel the absence of God's peace and God's wholeness, the absence of shalom. It's, poverty is about more than simply the material. It's about the absence of peace in our lives. And when we think about it in that way, of being isolated and unknown and unwelcome and unloved, we recognize that we all have need. We all have need. So with that in mind, I want you to hear these words from Romans 8 one more time. Paul says, those who are led by the Spirit of God. In other words, when you come to faith in Jesus, the Spirit of God leads you to an understanding that you are a child of God. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. In other words, you are now a part of the family and you have a father who loves you. And by this spirit, this spirit gives us the confidence to cry out to God as Abba, Father. The spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Here in another translation, this is from the voice translation. It says, if the spirit of God is leading you, then take comfort in knowing you are his children. 
You see, you have not received a spirit that returns you to slavery, so you have nothing to fear. You, you have nothing to fear. The spirit you have received adopts you and welcomes you into God's own family. That's why we call out to him, Abba, Father, as we would address a loving daddy. Through that prayer, God's spirit confirms in our spirit that we are his children. This is the gift of faith. That the Spirit of God comes into our life, reminding us that we are a child of God, loved by our Father. Again, last week we talked about that, that to be a person of faith is to believe certain things are true. And that, and that as a person of faith, you begin to build your life on top of these truths, on the foundation of these truths that have a guiding influence on your life. They change everything about what you do and what you say and how you interact with the world. That's how it's meant to work in your life. This becomes the foundation that transforms you. But here's the issue. Here's why this can't be just step one, step two, step three, peace and wholeness. I'm all happy. Here's the breakdown, is that while you as a person of faith may believe certain things to be true that are affirmations of your faith, and while you may attempt to build your life on top of those foundations, they are not the only things that you believe are true. There are other things that work their way into our hearts and into our heads, and they nestle themselves right up next to that truth that is an affirmation of our faith, and often this alternative truth is in direct conflict with what we know is a core affirmation of our faith. And deep in the depths of our souls, we don't know how to decide which one is true. And so there is a struggle, there is a fight, there is this internal war within ourselves between those things that are the clear affirmations of our faith and those other things that have worked themselves into our life, presenting them to us as truths. Let me give you an example. This is straight from Romans chapter 8. This is what I would suggest to you is the affirmation that comes to us from these three verses of Scripture, that the Spirit is testifying in your life and in my life, I am a child of God who is worthy of God's love and has nothing to fear. That's straight from Romans 8. That's what Romans 8 is, is, is offering to us. That's the promise that the Spirit is sharing with us. This is what we get by faith, the gift of faith, that you are a child of God who is worthy of God's love and you have absolutely nothing to fear. And not only that, don't, don't miss this about Romans chapter 8. What Romans 8 says is this is not only what you receive when this whole journey of faith begins, but it says that this is the statement, this is the belief that the Spirit is constantly testifying to in your life. In other words, when you say yes to Jesus, Jesus starts a tape that goes on repeat over and over and over again saying, you are a child of God. You are a child of God. You are a child of God. You are worthy of God's love and you have absolutely nothing to fear. Right now, in this moment, if you said yes to Jesus, that's what the Spirit is saying to you in your life. Now, you may struggle to hear it. You may really struggle to hear it. But this is what Romans 8 says. This is the truth about who you are that is repeated in your life over and over and over again. This is the work of the Spirit in you saying, you are a child of God who is worthy of God's love, who has absolutely nothing to fear. Here's the problem. It's not the only thing we believe is true. Here's an alternative truth. I promise this will only hurt for a moment. I am so afraid that I am not enough. I am so afraid 
that I am not enough. Now, some of you are wondering, how did he know that about me? It's because I follow you on Facebook. That's why. <laughs> I am so afraid that I am that not enough. I'm a child of God who is worthy of God's love. I have absolutely nothing to fear, but I'm so afraid. I'm so afraid that I'm not enough. And these alternative truths, they, they, they make their way into our heart. They burrow their way into there, and they, and they sit right next to those things that are clear affirmations of our faith and deep, deep in the depths of our soul. There is this damage. There is this war. There is this battle within us. Which of these things are really true about me. Several months ago, I was at Target with my son, my six-year-old. We were there to pick out a gift for his friend for a birthday party that was coming up. We were kind of on a time crunch, so we went to the Lego aisle, because where else do you go if you're six and you're looking for a birthday present? And of course, it's hard for the six-year-old to understand that we're here to buy a toy that is not for you. It's for somebody else. You know, he doesn't understand that. And I've, I've noticed that Target and other places too, they're very strategic in the way that they organize their shelves. The things on the bottom are the high dollar items, right? Like that's, it's the Star Wars ship that costs $85, you know? And so he walks into the aisle and he's looking at this bottom row and I'm like, Jack, he's a friend, but he's, he's not that good of a friend, okay? Look, lift, your, lift your eyes, right? You got to look up. Here's the 12 to $15 range of stuff. And he's having a hard time deciding because, hey, everything in the Lego aisle is just amazing when you're six years old. And so I did what many of you would have done in that situation. I selected a few things, about four little toys that would fit within the you know, appropriate price range. And I was like, okay, look right here. This is what we want to look at. These are your four options. F figure out what you want to get from here. And of course, even then it was so hard because you got Ninja Turtles, you got Star Wars, you got, you got superheroes, you got all this great stuff. How, how in the world do you decide? And I told him, I said, son, you have to decide. We are not buying all four of these things. You have to pick one to take to the party. You have to decide. So this is what my son decided to do. My son decided to place this monumental decision in his life in the hands of any, many, mighty, mo. okay? So we're there in the target aisle, okay? And he's learned any, many, mighty, mo. You know, there's two ways that you can go with that. You can go to and you are it or you are not it. He's learned it, you are not it, which meant we had to go through it four times, <laughs> in order to isolate the one thing that we were going to pick up and, and, and bring home. And the reason we had to go through that long and cumbersome process is because I told him, son, you have to decide. You can't have all four of these. We can't buy all four of these things. You have to decide. You have to pick. You have to choose. You have to make a decision. Which one of these things are we going to bring home? Today we're talking about the experience in our life where we feel unloved, when we feel unworthy, when we feel unwelcome, when we feel isolated. And we're talking about where grace begins in our life, how it starts, what's the intersection there between our need, uh, our, our brokenness, and God's beauty. What's the bridge that's built there? Where does it start? You might say it this way, that, that grace begins when we let God's truth win. And every single one of us, in our own way, at some point, we have to make the decision. You have to decide. Whose truth gets to win in your life? Whose truth gets to win? 
Whose truth gets the primary place in your life? Is it that you are a child of God who is worthy of God's love, that you have nothing to fear? Or is it, in fact, that you need to be afraid because you are, in fact, not enough? Grace begins when we make a decision. We decide that God's truth is going to win in our life. Every single orphan who begins this journey of transformation they begin with a decision. They come to a meeting, and at the, in the course of that meeting, there, there are caring adults who ask them questions that they have never been asked before, inviting them to share their stories and listening to them in a way that maybe no one else has ever done for them in their life before. And in the context of that first meeting, there's a very short scripture that is shared with each and every one of those kids. The scripture is presented to them is the reason that this program is here, the reason that people in the world have given to them and want to invest in them. It's from Jeremiah 29, which says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and to give you a future. And every single orphan who comes and shares their struggles and hears that scripture, when that meeting is over, they have a critical decision that they have to make in their life. The decision is, am I going to come back for the next meeting? Am I going to continue to believe that I am unwelcome, that I am unloved, that I have no hope and I have no future? Or are they going to take a risk and believe that there, is people, there are people in the world that care about them and that there just might be a hope and a future in store for them that they never imagined? And for empowerment to happen, this is what everyone who serves on Zoe's staff will tell you, for empowerment to happen, you have to give the orphan the choice of whether they're going to come back or not of whether they're going to take the risk in believing that maybe there is a hope and a future in store for them. Every single orphan is offered this idea that you don't have to live like this anymore. But they have to make the choice. They have to make the choice. Which truth gets to win? So whose truth is winning in your life today? Is it the truth that says... You're a child of God. You are loved by God. There's nothing you have to fear. Or is it the truth that says you're not enough, you're never going to be enough, you're never going to get this right, you're never going to be who you want to be? Whose truth is winning in your life? And today, would you be willing to say, God, I want you to win. I want you to win. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I pray that you would bless my brothers and sisters with courage. The courage to take what may feel like a, Lord, a big risk. To believe in the promises that you have shared. To believe in hope. To believe in a future for their life. Lord, we confess to you and we ask your forgiveness for the struggle that we deal with every day and we pray Lord that you would bring healing to the damage that we have caused in our own souls 
by not taking that risk and, and choosing to hear and walk and respond to what, what you have been speaking into our life. But God, send grace today to break the chains, to set us free, to help us understand that your truth wins because you say it wins. May that be true for each of us today, Lord. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.